Hey, welcome everybody. Man, we are glad that you are here. Believe it or not, there are people all the way from Oklahoma that are here with us today. We have people from South Carolina that are with us. And we have people all the way from a place called Memphis. Yeah. Um, I didn't know they let people out of there, but apparently they do. And we have people here today from Memphis all over. Hey, summer is always a big travel time. We know that. And so we are so glad when people who do not call Chattanooga home end up coming to be with us, whether you're here for vacations or it's a softball tournament or, or you just got lost and you just ended up here in Chattanooga. We are so glad that you are, you are with us today. We know we've got a lot of our family uh, who are on the roads uh, traveling during uh, this Independence Week. Uh, we have um, a little over 100 of our church family that are at Camp to Know Him today for our uh, youth camp that's going on. We have families that are there. We have some of our yaks that are there assisting uh, also. And so it's always a very transient time. So it's just great whenever uh, we're able to see new faces. And we're just so glad that you were here and hope that you will hang around and stay with us. We've got some really uh, neat things that are going to be happening after our worship time. I'll tell you about that here in just a, um, in just a few minutes. But we are so glad uh, to have you here. And if you're a part of our regular church family, man, welcome back. Welcome back. It's been a week since we've all been able to uh, get together. I know that uh, some of you have uh, been traveling, like I said, yourselves. Tim, welcome back from Europe. Glad to have you back. And so it is uh, just great to be able to get back together um, again and to um, come and sing Miss Elaine's favorite song, right? Uh, we found that out Wednesday night uh, that uh, It's Me is Miss Elaine's favorite. And, and so we wanted to be sure and include that today. Thanks, Derek. Hey, and if nothing else today, you have found out that Marco Diaz needs to help out our worship team. Man, did, did, did you hear those tunes, that sultry voice that came out? That was, that was pretty good. That, that, that was nice. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to, Marco, to Marco doing that. Hey, I've got a picture I want to show you. It's of something called a dream catcher. Uh, maybe you've had one in the past. Maybe you have one uh, currently. Uh, these things were indigenous to the Chippewa peoples of southern Canada and the northern United States. And the purpose of these dream catchers is they were constructed of, by tying some sinew strands together and weaving them around a small frame. They were hung over the bed of children and used as a charm to protect the sleeping children from any types of, of bad dreams that they might end up having. And the thought was that the good dreams would pass through and slide down the feathers to that person who was sleeping underneath. But those bad dreams, uh, they would get caught up in all of that webbing and caught in the net. And, and therefore the child could sleep and, and not have to worry about any type of, of bad dreams waking them up. Now, I bring this up because I think that we sometimes tend to look at God as being our own personal dream catcher. That we look at him and think that his responsibility is to filter all of our goals and all of our hopes and dreams and aspirations. And he's to allow those things that are good to pass through. Anything that would cause us sorrow or heartache, anything that would damage or harm, those things he is to, to catch and so when we think of God in that way, is it any wonder then that we want to go and have words with God when things don't turn out the way that we wished or dreamed that they would? Whenever we have disappointments, whenever we have heartache, we say, well, God just didn't do his job. 
He's not my dream catcher. And the guy's the God who promises, believe in me and nothing bad will ever happen to you, is not the God that is revealed in Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture are we given a view that God should lead us, lead us through all of our problems and, and direct our path so that we'll never stump our toes, so that nothing bad will ever go wrong, and all of our dreams will always come true. The false God of dreams is only served to make his followers angry and and cynical. But as we go through and do a little bit of study this morning, I hope at the end you understand that I do believe God is a dream catcher, but, but just not in the way sometimes that we, that we approach him. Let me explain what I mean. All summer we're looking through various characters that are predominantly found in our Old Testament. We're looking there because Scripture says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, these men and, and women of faith who are encouraging us on our journey. And, and we're looking to them for the encouragement to continue on in, in our faith walk. And so what we've done over the, the last few weeks are just go and, and look at some of those, what some people refer to as the patriarchs of the Old Testament. And last week we began looking at Joseph. And you might remember that he was born into a very dysfunctional family. It was a family that was filled with passivity and favoritism. It was a, a family of envy and deceit. It was a family of sexual immorality. And Joseph was the favored son of his father Jacob. Now you can imagine this did not go over very well with, with Joseph's brothers. And, and he had difficulty, especially when he would come and say, Oh, by the way, I've had these dreams. And, and the dreams that I have are very vivid. And they show you guys, my brothers, bowing down in front of me. Well, the brothers end up selling him to some slave traders bound for Egypt. And they tell their father that his favorite son has been killed by animals. The slave traders take him to Egypt. There he's bought by a very wealthy man and eventually placed in charge of the man's household. Only to lose that good standing when he refuses the sexual advances of the man's wife. Joseph is falsely accused of raping the said wife and is thrown into prison where he's going to stay for the next 10 years. And one of the things that we saw last week was that Joseph had done nothing necessarily to deserve this. It wasn't his sin. It wasn't his disobedience. It wasn't his rebellion. It wasn't his unfaithfulness. But page after page in Joseph's life is just disappointment after disappointment. And it wasn't his fault. It was just life. He was the victim of someone else's decisions and choices. His life started off with great dreams he was forced into solitude, and now he's languishing in prison. The prison warden soon sees in Joseph what Potiphar saw and says, look, I'm going to put you in charge of all those people who were here in the prison. And there were two prisoners that were under his care. One was the cupbearer to the Pharaoh. Now his job was to taste the wine that the Pharaoh would eventually drink to make sure it wasn't poison. Now, for those of you graduating from college, this is not the job that you want. You know, a good day is a day that you come home. I mean, that's kind of how it goes. But that was his job. And there was also a baker. And these two guys, they had these very vivid and very wild dreams. And they go to Joseph and they say, you know, we don't understand what's going on. And they explain what they've been seeing. And God gives Joseph the ability to interpret these dreams. And after he does so... Not very long afterwards, these dreams end up being proven true. And so he asked the cupbearer, who is soon going to be released, to speak to Pharaoh on his behalf. 
But here's what the Genesis writer says. The chief cupbearer, after he got out of prison, forgot Joseph. Forgot him. So make sure you get this straight. He's been mistreated by his family. He's been sold into slavery. He's been falsely accused. He's been imprisoned. And now he's been forgotten. And yet during all of this, we read that the Lord was with Joseph. And as I read that, I think, well, I'm glad because I would hate to see what his life was like if the Lord was not with Joseph, right? I mean, if God wasn't there, what in the world would be happening to him? If this is life with God, now this is where I think we need to circle back to something that we said last week. And I want to remind you that God's presence does not eliminate disappointments. It doesn't. And if you're taking notes there on your glory, praise, and honor, I would love for you just to write that down. Just as a reminder, God's presence in our life, as seen in the life of Joseph, does not eliminate disappointments. It'd be great if it did. It would be great if you were going to be able to to say a certain prayer, to sing a certain song, and everything was just going to go great, and you would never have any problems at all. But here's what we do learn from Scripture. His presence empowers us to endure disappointments. And that's what we see going on in the life of Joseph. And, And this is key in our God must fulfill all of our wishes world. Because after a while, after we've endured our share of mistreatment and false accusations... After we've endured yet another broken promise, if we're not careful, we begin to accept a view that at best says, well, you know, God just isn't watching. Or at worst, God just doesn't care. And as a result, our faith begins to give way to cynicism. Now, nobody ever expects to grow up and become cynical. You didn't. It's not like you captioned your senior yearbook photo like this guy here. I hope to grow up jaded and distrustful by the time I turn 40. By the way, that's a nice looking guy with glasses and short hair. Almost as good looking as this guy here who said, I want to change the world. But if I don't, I hope my cynicism will damage my family and make me difficult to work with. Go Braves. I mean, mean, that's not what anybody puts in their yearbook, right? That's not how you went about wanting wanting to grow up. But cynicism is so easy to fall into. You've seen it. You've consoled the friend who has had her heart broken so many times. She's decided that there isn't a man in the world that can be trusted. You've talked with a brother-in-law who's a cop. And he's just seen too much, too many times, to believe that there's really good in people anymore. You must daily deal with a co-worker who shoots down every single idea that you have because he just knows that your strategy is doomed to fail. You've worshipped with Christians who are just fed up with church because of all the complaining and the bickering. You've been in the small group with the ministry leader who's just convinced that her ideas are going to be rejected. But almost as disturbing as what you've seen around you is what you have felt through the years inside you. See, cynicism isn't just something that other people experience. As our expectations fail to be met, cynicism grows within us. And every failed expectation, every time we have a dream and we just know this is how it's going to work out, and then things fall apart, that cynicism within us just grows. You know, there was a time where you were hopeful and you were optimistic 
And you were dripping with idealism. And you knew how to make the world a better place. And you were intent on doing it. And how'd that work out for you? All those dreams that you set up and all the things that you wanted to accomplish. You know, the timeline differs from person to person. But here's kind of what people discover. The optimism of your teens and 20s gives way to the realism of your 30s. And by the time you're pushing 40, many of your forever in love friends are no longer in love. And many of your once enthusiastic co-workers hate their jobs. And many of your once solid friendships have dissolved. Life happens. And then by the time you roll into your 50s, what you expected and what you wanted and what you had prayed for is just not what you have. But believe it or not, those individuals who were cynics were actually former optimists. You'd never know it now by listening to them. But there was a time when, when they were hopeful and they were enthusiastic and even cheerful. Because not everybody starts out with a negative outlook. Most people start out with a very positive outlook on life. And so we ask and we wonder, well, what happens? What goes on in our life that causes us then to, to step over that line? Step over that line where realism gives way to, to cynicism. How do you go from being so positive to so negative? Well, let's face it. Sometimes you just know too much, right? You just know too much and that knowledge saddens you. Solomon put it this way. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. Now, this is, sounds like something that Eeyore would write, right? I mean, th this would go really great with, with, with Eeyore. I mean, just read it there with him. You know, the greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. It's like Eeyore is writing in our Bible. It makes a terrible social media post. But the insight is quite helpful. You see, like Joseph, you've been betrayed and... And there are individuals who are in here who've been forgotten. You've experienced heartbreak and backstabbing. You understand that, that people let you down. And, and you've seen that some people can't be trusted. You know that Christ followers do not always display Christ's character. You know that love hurts. You realize that people can be fickle and selfish. You recognize that not everybody succeeds, even though they have good intentions and effort. And even though you got a trophy every stage of your life growing up, you realize now not everybody gets promoted. And the longer you live, the more that you know. Which is why cynicism and age are frequent companions. They go together. Because with age and experience, we just become skilled at seeing patterns. And we start to, to do what cynics just do by instinct. We project past failures onto new situations. So you get a new boss. And you just know that this new boss, she's probably going to be just as unfair and arrogant as your old boss. A new guy transfers into your team and, and you just wait knowing that he's going to mess everything up if you'll just give it a couple of months. Your cousin gets married. And you wonder how long it's going to be before the newlyweds run into some serious problems. You see, you no longer see people for who they are. You no longer see situations for what they could be. You just see potential hurt. It's why Kerry Newolf in his book, Didn't See It Coming, says that he knows very few balanced older people. He writes that in our 20s and 30s, we, we still have good days and, and bad days. Not everything is perfect. We understand that. 
We know that there's going to be some rain on some days and some days will be shining. Not everything is going to work out the way that we want to, but everything kind of evens out in the end. But most of the older people he knows, he says, have landed on one side of the other of the balance line. They grew to be either happy and grateful, or he says, bitter and crotchety. And he theorizes that as we grow older, we become more of who we already are. Just like our bodies stiffen a little bit, our personalities begin to to harden and we become less flexible. And it's like there's a war that's going on on the inside of us for hope. And cynicism is either going to win or it will lose. But when when we go through this battle, it's not just going to be that we become a little bit hopeful or a little bit cynical. The die is cast and the concrete hardens. And the I'm having a bad day feeling that everyone experiences morphs as we grow older into I'm having a bad life feeling. So cynicism, he concludes, is a choice. Here's what he writes. Cynics are born, they are not made. Life doesn't make you a cynic. You make you a cynic. Cynicism is not always a conscious decision, but it is a decision nonetheless. It's the decision you make to stop hoping, to stop trusting, and to stop believing. Wow. He doesn't pull any punches, does he? You know, if you've grown cynical in your life, you need to understand that cynicism happens not because your heart is closed, but because it was once open. It happens because the idealist in you was idealistic. And then when life happened, all the hurt happened. But like Joseph, you're left with a choice. So what are you going to do? So fast forward a little bit, a couple of years. The cupbearer is out of prison. He's now back with this great job of drinking before Pharaoh. He's back in Pharaoh's good graces. And Pharaoh, he ends up having a dream himself. And he calls all of his wise advisors to him and he explains this dream in vivid detail, but no one is able to give him a satisfactory answer. Well, the cupbearer is listening to all this and believe it or not, he actually remembers what happened when he was in prison. And so he goes, wait a minute, there's this guy. There was this guy in the dungeon with me. What was his, what was Joseph? It was Joseph and he was able to interpret our dreams. So Pharaoh calls for Joseph and he brings this prisoner, this slave in to interpret his dream. And the Bible says that God again gives Joseph the ability to interpret the dream that Pharaoh has. And Pharaoh is so pleased with Joseph that he places him in charge of everything that's going on in the palace. And he says, all my people are to submit to your orders. And only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. He goes from being a prisoner and a slave, and now he's deputy Pharaoh. He's the vice president of Egypt. He's second to the most powerful man in the world. And you say, how does this happen? Well, it's because God's writing his story. See, we saw it a couple of weeks ago. We saw it when we looked at the life of Abraham and Sarah. God wanted to populate a nation. And so what does he do? He says, well, I'll choose the elderly and fertile couple. And I'll make things work there. 
And so now the time has come for God to rescue his people because there's a famine coming and he needs one of his own in a position of power and authority. And so who does he choose? Well, he chooses the the 30-year-old former slave and ex-con who 13 years earlier had been shanghaied by his own family. And we just see this happening over and over again that when God writes a story, he chooses some very unlikely characters. And so God chooses Joseph and he uses him to execute this plan that is going to end up saving millions of people from a severe seven-year famine. It doesn't just affect Egypt. This is something that is going to keep going beyond the borders and affect more and more of the known world. It spreads out to the outer regions. Eventually, it affects Canaan, and that's the home place of Joseph. Now, his family has money. They have resources, but they don't have food. And so here's where another twist comes in the story. They, they need to buy grain. And they hear that miraculously, Egypt is doing really well during this famine. And that there's some guy in charge that's been able to manage this entire situation. And so Joseph's father, Jacob, he sends Joseph's older brothers to Egypt in an attempt to buy grain. Because they've heard about all the stockpiles that are there. So his brothers all come on the scene. And 22 years now have passed since they sold Joseph into slavery. Joseph was 17 at the time and now he's 39. And they don't recognize him. And so here's what happens. His brothers find themselves before the deputy Pharaoh and they don't know what to do. And so they bow down. Just like Joseph's dream. And Joseph, he puts them through a few tests to kind of see where their heart is and if there's been any change that has taken place over the decades since he's been away. And then finally, he can hold it in no longer. And here's what we read in in chapter 45, there in verse 4. It says, Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Here's what, here's what he's saying. He says, God has a bigger story to this pain. Don't be angry with yourself because of what you have done because God has used this. Later on at the end of Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, he says, you know what? You intended all of these things to harm me. But God intended it all for good. There's no bitterness. There's no cynicism. Just a a choice to view disappointment through the lens of an eternal dream catcher. You see, God takes all those decisions and all those broken dreams and all that disappointment. And he says, all right, I can still work in the midst of this. Now, God certainly did not cause Joseph's brothers to sin by selling him they did not, he did not cause them to lie to the father. God did not cause Pharaoh's wife to sin by lusting after Joseph. It, it was not God who made it so that Joseph would be falsely accused and thrown into prison. But here's what God does. He takes all the pieces and he accomplishes his purpose. He redeems the pain that is Joseph's life. And this is the ultimate view of God's sovereignty. It's not that God causes all these things to happen, but that he uses all of these pieces for the telling of his story. And so he takes the cancer that Satan hopes will destroy your faith. And he uses it as an opportunity for you to witness to others who are facing their final days. 
He takes the divorce that Satan just knew would discredit your ministry. And he opens the door for you to minister to others whose marriage dreams have crumbled. He takes the pain you endured when you said goodbye to your child. A pain that Satan was sure was just going to crush you and cripple you. And he allowed you to experience a comfort and peace in a way that you've never known. What Satan intends for evil, God redeems for good. And so Joseph says, God has redeemed this. And here's what I want you to get, I guess, more than anything else from the message today. Never give up on God redeeming your story. Never give up because he is the great redeemer. It's who he is and it's, it's what he does. And he can redeem anything. It's never too broken. It's never too busted. It's never too late. The dreams that you have that have turned to disappointment, dreams for your children or dreams for your marriage or dreams for your job or dreams for your, your ministry. God is saying this morning, you know what? I can work with that. I can work with your depression, your empty nest. I can work with your new major. I can work with your new home. I can work with your new finances. It's not what you planned for. It's not what you prayed for. It's not what you prepared for. But I can redeem it. Because it's the story of Joseph. And it's the story of all of God's children. You see, I believe the story of Joseph is, is in the Bible for a reason. And it's there to teach us to trust God to overcome the evils in this world. You know, I told you last week, I said, there are people who are here, a part of our congregation, who through no fault of your own, have dealt with heartache and disappointment and injustice and pain. And, and all of that has, has left individuals just a shell of what they used to be. But it just hurts too much. And the cynicism just begins to grow. There's nothing good that can come from anything anymore. And yet here comes the story of Joseph. Joseph. Saying you can trust God to overcome the evil that is present in your life. All the broken pieces ultimately leading to the great Redeemer Jesus. Who redeems this world from sin. Guys, no one's life's perfect. You're going to face disappointments. And some of those seasons of disappointment, it might last your entire lifetime. And it's going to be easy to become cynical and jaded. But cynics live in the past, always thinking about past wrongs and, and past failures and past outcomes, convinced that today's forecast is yesterday's weather. But Joseph opted for a different outlook. He chose to live in the present, looking to see what God was currently doing. The Bible says in Romans 8 and verse 28 that here's something that we know that is trustworthy, that you can take to the bank, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who are called according to his purpose. And, and that word works. For, for all of you foreign language geeks that are out there. It, it's the Greek verb. Synergio. And it's used in what's called the present indicative active form. Now here's what this means. It means that it's denoting a continuous factual action. That is taking place at the current time. Scripture is saying. God is working. Working right now. That God is working in your life. 
That God is not lost to the things that are going on. He is not blinded to what's taking place right here and right now in your life. He sees what's happened to you on the job. He understands what's going on in your family. He knows better than anyone else what's happening within your neighborhood and community. He knows the fears that you have on the inside. And scripture says without a shadow of a doubt, God is working in all things. In good things, in bad things, in all things, in big things, in in little things. It's in all things, Scripture says, in exciting things, in disappointing things. This is the promise of God. So don't let yesterday's disappointments rob you of today's joy. Or to put it another way, don't miss out on what God is doing today because you wish that he would have done it yesterday. You know, Joseph will be the first to tell you that life in the pit just stinks. Yet for all of its rottenness, it at least does this much. It forces us to look upward. Someone from up there must come down here and give a hand. God did that for Joseph. And at the right time, in the right way, He's promised to do that for you. So in the midst of your disappointment, can I encourage you this morning to keep hoping, to keep trusting, to keep believing. It's a choice. Will you choose to believe that God is still working, catching your dreams? Will you join me in prayer? Father, can we just say thank you? Can we just say thank you for the way in which you work powerfully in our life? I know we get so caught up in things that we wish would happen that we oftentimes just don't take advantage of the opportunity just to say thank you for the things that we don't see. Thank you for the things that we're missing. You know, we become so blinded by the hurt. We've become so blinded by the injustice. We can't believe that they said that. We can't believe that they did that. And it all just clouds our vision where we're not able to see clearly. And we miss what you're doing right here in our midst. And so can we just stop now to say thank you? Thank you for reminding us through the story of Joseph that you do overcome evil. Thank you for reminding us that you are active. Thank you for reminding us that we are not alone in the midst of our heartache and pain and disappointments. And Father, thank you for all the dreams that we do get to enjoy. Don't let us forget the things that that we do get to accomplish and the things that that actually have gone the way in which we want them to go just because there are some things that turned out well, not exactly that we want them to. May we not forget all the other good that's taken place just because of the season in life that we're in right now. Allow us to keep trusting. Allow us to keep hoping. And Father, I pray that we would keep believing that you are a dream catcher. Catching all of those dreams that are 
that are a part of our life, whether they be whole or broken, and using them to write an incredible story. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Guys, did you see in Joseph's story, did you see how he tells his brothers that, look, you intended to harm me, but God intended this for good. And, and did you see as you read through the story of Joseph that, that Joseph had the perspective that the good that was going to come was going to be good for others? See, Joseph understood that God, yes, God works in our life, but he doesn't just work for our own benefit, but God works through our life for the benefit of others. It's why we come together in opportunities like this to remind ourselves that we are not alone, that, that, that we are here living for one another. And so I want to encourage you as we take time here in a few minutes to, to go around our campus to different classes, I, I want to encourage you that that you will take the opportunity to listen to the stories of the people who are in your class. That you will feel comfortable sharing about times of cynicism that, that you have had. Because God can use the time that you spend in these classes to be able to benefit others. And who knows, maybe you have a story to tell this morning. You have something that you have gone through, that you have dealt with, that you have lived with. And you have that story to tell, not just for your benefit, but for someone else who you don't even know that's in this class that's going to be sitting on the other side of the room. And you can say with Joseph, oh, I know Satan intended me to be harmed by this, but God intended it for good so that my brothers and sisters could be blessed by it. Maybe you need to come this morning saying, you know what, I have a story to tell for my brothers and sisters. Maybe you need to come this morning saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and I want to be baptized into Christ because I believe that he truly is the great Redeemer and I want all of my sin to be redeemed. Maybe you need to come saying, you know what, I truly do need the prayers of this church because as I have aged, as I have grown older, I have become the cynic and I've stopped hoping, I've stopped dreaming, I've stopped believing. And I don't want to be that person anymore. Why don't you come and just pour it out. Pour out your dreams and allow God to catch them. As together we stand and give him praise.